This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoop. All right, we're back with another episode of the Forever Mighty Podcast. We got another special guest joining the show. We've got staff editor for the Athletic LA, Rich Hammond, joining the show. How's it going? That's going good, guys. Thanks for having me. No problem. I mean, it's a busy day, I guess, for the Athletic LA and for the Athletic in general. The Athletic uh, LA branch launched yeah, last year in June, and you've been a part of it since March. How much has it transformed over the year, and how much has it transformed sports coverage in California? Yeah, I, I hope a lot. Uh, you know, it's something that I was kind of excited about from afar. You know, we'd we kind of seen it coming. They, they've kind of branched out city by city, and, and it took a little while to get things uh, started in L.A., but when it did, you know, I could see immediately the, the type of people that they hired people who I'd worked with for a long time and, and admired. I mean, one of the first people uh, that they went out and got was Eric Stevens to, to cover the Ducks. And I've known Eric forever and what a tremendous writer and reporter is and, and how much he knows about the sports. And, and that was a good signal to me that they were very serious about hiring good people and that they were going to be uh, having good coverage. So you've just seen it continue to grow. I mean, every, every team now, every pro team here has a, as a dedicated beat writer who goes to practices and travels. And, and really the, the idea is to, you know, kind of bring coverage to, to readers that, that hasn't been done before. You know, I, I grew up in newspapers. I've spent, you know, most of my career, about 20 years uh, in, in newspapers and enjoyed it, always wanted to write for, for papers, always loved it. Um, but this is something a little bit different. It's, it's not necessarily just kind of chasing the day-to-day stuff, the injuries, the transactions, you know, who scored the goals, that sort of thing. Uh, what, what our people are kind of empowered to do is go a little bit deeper, you know, take advantage of that access that you get, try to find stories that, that go a little beyond just what happens on the ice or what somebody says in the locker room. So there's challenges that, that go along with that, but but you also get some, some really good stories and, and some rewarding stuff. So it's a lot of fun. I can tell you from, from our side of it, from the writer and, and editor side of it, it's a lot of fun to be able to work like that. It's, it's very rewarding to, to write stories like that. And uh, we hope, uh, cross our fingers, that, that the readers enjoy it too and, uh, and that they find it you know, worth, worthwhile to sign up for. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun for us too. I mean, uh, just you know, speaking on, on behalf of us, you know, it's it's been great having that coverage just specifically for the Ducks. Or you know, we haven't had that much coverage before. But it was Eric Stevens with the Orange County Register before this, and now he is able to take that to another level with the Athletic. Uh, with it launching in June, you kind of were able to admire it from afar, and then joining in March. Mm-hmm. What kind of drew you to the Athletic, and how did you become a part of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew a lot of the people, and uh, that that was one of the instant attractions. Is I, I, I've worked with a lot of those people over the years. Eric being one of them. I did. I knew Eric when when I was about 18 years old. Uh, I won't tell you how long ago that was, but it was a long <laughs> time ago. Um, so I, I've known him for a long time and, and admired him. So that's really a lot of it uh, was was when I saw the type of people that they were hiring, and, and that's across the board. Um, I knew it was going to be something special, and you kind of the, the way things work there is you you kind of get the golden ticket, you know, like they they kind of come to you and say, hey, we're we're interested in you, and you know, you see if you can work something out. So it was a little bit of a process. I'd, I'd been doing some some writing primarily uh, covering the NFL, and then they presented me this opportunity to to come be more on the editing and, and planning side of it. And uh, we were able to work that out, and, and I came on board, uh, you know, pretty much right after the Super Bowl. So it's it's a different side of things, but it's something I, I find rewarding because you, you you try to think like a reader, you try to think like a fan, and say, what are people interested in right now? What type of stories would they like to read? And that's how you kind of talk things through with the writer and find out, okay, where can we find, uh, you know, some some common ground here, some stories that the writers will find interesting and fun to do and also that the readers will enjoy. So it's always a challenge. You don't always do it right. You know, the, the stories don't always hit the way that you would like them to, but I, I think our, our people and, and Eric in particular done a really great job of, of finding those stories. I mean, he, you know, not long ago he, he went down to Poway after the, the, the synagogue shooting and, and talked to Dallas Eakins and his family and, and really got some really good context on, on Dallas before he even got hired. And, uh, you know, Eric did great work throughout that hiring process, too, I thought, of, of getting the stories and, and getting all the news that, that was breaking. And you guys know it took a while for the Ducks to get that uh, coach named, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, Eric was on top of it, and, <laughs> you know, and tracking all the candidates and stuff like that. So it's a really fun thing to do. Uh, you, you're not beholden necessarily to newspaper deadlines or inch counts or things like that and and you really have the freedom to to go out and do the stories that uh that you think readers are going to connect with and that was one of the questions i had is you spent so much time uh in print for newspapers what kind of feeling is like to all of a sudden have that different platform where you don't have to meet deadlines and do those types of things is that really the main Mm -hmm. difference between print and doing um, like the online, the online writing, online media with with the athletic, because it just opens up to just go write a great story and and figure out what you you know what you want to dive into depending on what team yeah. you follow. For sure, I'll, I'll give you one real tangible example of that. Is sometimes you know you if you're in a newspaper uh, scenario, you tell your editor, hey, you know, I'm, I'm planning on running the story on Tuesday, and then Monday comes and you're not quite there yet. You know, somebody didn't didn't call you back, or you didn't quite you know have enough time to to spend on the story that that you wanted. And in a newspaper situation, most often, well, that's too bad because they were planning on having that story in the paper and. And they need it. They're counting on it. And, 
even if it's not quite where you want it to be, uh, it's it's still got to go. And and the beauty of, of what we do is we have that ability to take a breath and say, hey, you know, we just didn't get that person yet. Or maybe the story just needs a day more work. And I, I think it, it comes out in the finished product. You know, our, our goal here is, is to give the reader the best story that they can get. It's, it's not to rush it. It's not to have it be a certain length. It's, you know, when we press publish, we, we want that to, story to be the best that it can be. And whether that takes three days, whether it takes a week, whether it takes two weeks, um, it's, it's all about getting the story right and, and making it great when, when it hits that website. So uh, that is the biggest difference. You know, you're, you're less stressed on that end. Uh, you have to keep yourself a little bit motivated because, you know, we have readers, we have subscribers, and they want coverage, and, and they're paying for coverage, and, and they deserve coverage. So uh, you do have to balance that with, with, you know, needing to get some stories out there. And so, so there is a little bit of a balance. You, you want to take your time, uh, but you're also mindful that there's a lot of eager readers out there who want to know what's going on in free agency or what's going on heading into training camp. So uh, you want to take your time, but you don't want to take too much time, I guess is the best way to put it. No, that's, that's you know, you said you've known Eric Stevens a long time and us Ducks fans, you know, we've been reading him forever too. So it was so disappointing at first when like every other team got a writer with The Athletic and we all had subscribed. And then to see Eric get the chance to go and cover the Ducks there, and you just see, we always knew he was a good writer, and then you go and see all the stuff he's able to yeah. finally dive deep into. It was just really refreshing to see uh, here in Anaheim, for sure. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, is it? And, you know, the, it, the, it's evolved so much over the years, even since I've been involved and, and since Eric's been involved, too. You know, back when, when we started out in the 90s, you didn't have the access that you have now. You, you know, fans... You still got to watch games on TV, but you didn't get access to press conferences. You didn't have Twitter and, and social media to get all the latest transactions. Well, I mean, now you have all that stuff. You don't you don't need a reporter to tell you, oh, you know, this guy got called up from San Diego or this guy's day to day with a with a groin injury. You you can get that all by yourself now. You don't you don't need a reporter for that. What what you need a reporter for is is to really go in there and dig and and find those interesting backstories or those stories that, that you don't even know about. And, and I, I really think that's where we need to go with this. And, and if, we're, if we're asking people to pay for coverage, which is what we're doing, then we need to give them that. We need to give them stories that they can't get anywhere else. And that's a challenge because you only get so much access and you don't always get everything that you need, but I, I think the people that we've hired have that kind of that nose for that to go, okay, this, this is where I need to go with this story. This is the interesting angle, or this is the thing that my readers don't know about. And, and that's where we're always kind of pushing them to go is to just to use that access that you have, you know, to, to tell the stories that other, that other people are not telling. So it's a challenge, but uh, I think we do some quality work on that end. With such a focus on stories and readers and, and emotionally connect with them, have you had any favorite moments or stories over, over the, the time that you've been with The Athletic? Yeah, I, I mean, that one to me, um, I, I mentioned it, that, that Eric did on, on Dallas Eakins' family. I mean, we, we heard about the, um, you know, the, the synagogue shooting in Poway, and, and obviously that was a, a, a terrible, you know, situation on its own, but I had no idea. And I mean, I, I obviously I knew that Dallas and, and his family lived down in that area, but 
you know, had no idea that he lived so close to it that he basically his, his jogging route every day or, or, you know, several times a week went right by that synagogue and, and the connection that, that he felt to that community, even just, you know, kind of being a minor league coach who, who probably had greater aspirations for himself. Um, you know, to, to hear that story was just very fascinating. And, and that's not something you're going to get just in a little, you know, two minute sit down or a, a scrum interview after a game or something like that. Um, that's something that takes a little bit more time and, and you have to get, uh, you know, a coach or a subject kind of away from the rink a little bit away from their office. You know what I mean? To, to kind of get that opened up a little bit and, and talking to his wife and, and hearing how it impacted her and, and things like that. I mean, excuse me, obviously, a, you know, a super sad story, but to, to hear the human side, you know, you, you know a lot about coaches, how they work and kind of what their tactics are and that sort of thing. But to, to have that, that guy humanized uh, really was impactful to me. And, and then kind of to be able to revisit it after he got hired as the Ducks coach, um, that, that was one that, that really sat with me early on. And, and I thought Eric had a a not very nice touch on a story that, that could have been very delicate to handle. Yeah. I think those are the type of stories too, that attract a lot of the subscribers. And, and today, actually the platform just hit 500,000 subscribers and is on track to hit 1 yeah. million by the end of the year. Can you believe how much it's grown since launching in 2016? And obviously since the LA branch coming in in 2018. Yeah, it's amazing. And you, and you never really know. And that's the thing, you know, I, I know there's still some, resistance to, to, to paying for content. But, uh, and I get that, you know, people, uh, people say to me on social media and what have you, like, well, why would I pay for this? You know, when I can get stuff free other, other places. And, and I always say, well, you know, the, the number of places that you can get stuff for free is, is dwindling. I mean, you look at what it was, uh, you know, five years ago or even three years ago, your, your options are getting kind of slim. So, you know, it's, it's, I think we're headed that way, and, and I think everybody is headed that way in short order. So, uh, you know, and, and I think people are, are kind of now more uh, conditioned to that, whether it's Netflix or, you know, satellite radio or whatever it might be. Um, you know, you, you have a budget for that sort of thing, and, and you pay for what you think you're going to use. So to, to see that many people sign up for it that early um, was, I mean – shocking to me in, in an awesome way to, to see that it happened so quickly. And, uh, you know, really, I, I think a, kind of a triumph for what the, what the founders, um, you know, had in mind, they went out right away and, and particularly on the hockey side, you know, it, it's people on the national level, whether it's Pierre Lebrun or Scott Burnside or Eric Duhacek and, you know, all the, all the Canadian reporters and those markets. I mean, they went out and, and really kind of got the best of the best and, and uh, kind of bet, you know, that, that that would pay off, that people would respond to that and to, to see how they've done it, you know, 500,000 people in, in basically three years. Uh, that that's, that's, that's great. <laughs> Believe me, as, as somebody who, who works here and, and would like to see this, uh, you know, thrive for, for decades to come, uh, I, I think it's great. And, you know, the challenge is on us to, to keep those 500,000 and, and turn them into a million and then turn them into 2 million. So, uh, so we'll keep working on that and, and hopefully succeed. So Rich, just want to shift gears a little bit here, go over it and focus more on, uh, on Dallas Eakins and duck stuff. And, uh, just to, just to start it off. Um, what do you think of the ducks hiring of Dallas Eakins? You know, they, they went for the guy, 
um, that uh, all the players love down in San Diego. And obviously he made a big impact with the guys coming up to the big club and with the, the firing of Randy Carlisle. Do you think that was the right move? Yeah, you know, I, I always find it so intriguing in, in sports across the board. It, it's kind of you, you kind of swing from one direction to the other, you know, from from Randy kind of being the, the old school kind of hard nosed guy. And then you swing back to, to Dallas, who's obviously, you know, a little bit younger and, and you might consider you know, a little bit more of a communicator, maybe, I guess you could say, at least for, uh, for the player side of things, where it's a little bit more of an open-door policy. And, and I always think that those things are, are not coincidences uh, when, you know, you kind of, a coach has one style and players kind of burn out, burn out on that, and then you kind of swing back to the other style where it's, okay, now you can let the players breathe a little bit. Uh, but you also don't want them to get too comfortable. So I thought it was a good hire. I, I thought it made sense um, just in terms of, you know, the, the transition maybe that the Ducks are headed toward, and it might even be starting right now, but certainly over the next couple of years where, um, you know, some of these prospects are going to start to step in and, and claim bigger roles on this team and, and, you know, maybe crack the lineup and that sort of thing. And so to have somebody there who, who already has familiarity with them and, and has helped them develop and, and has been a winner. Um, I, I think that's important and, and that's a, a valuable thing. And, and the other thing I think is you see this time and again, uh, a coach in his second time around is not the same. And, and I know people will look at, you know, what happened in Edmonton and, and, you know, the, the shortcomings there and, and maybe, you know, some of Dallas's shortcomings himself and be a little bit wary of that. And, and that's, that makes sense. That's that, you know, I, I understand that, but these coaches learn that they're, they're driven just as much as the players are and, and they don't like failure and, and they don't like to be fired. And when they do get fired, they take a step back and, and self assess and say, what did I do wrong? Uh, how could I have done this better? And if I do get another opportunity, how am I going to be better? And, you know, Dallas has had that time now to, to stay, take a step back, to, to take a breath, and I would I would expect him to be a better coach now. And, uh, you know, that, that's why you see it's kind of a joke now. People say, oh, you know, you're hiring a retread. You're hiring somebody who's already been around. Well, they're not always the same people. You know, uh, how many times have we seen a, a coach in his, you know, Barube steps in or, or you know, Daryl Sutter a couple of years ago. I mean, these, these they're, they're not the same as they are in, in their previous job necessarily. So I thought it was the right move uh, in, in a number of ways. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. But but on paper, I, I think it kind of checks off all the boxes. Yeah, I laughed at the retread comments too. I'm like, it's not like they went and hired another old guy like Michelle Therry. And they, they brought in a, a young coach from the yeah. AHL who's really earned his keep and, and deserves a shot here with the big club for sure. Yeah, and you, you know what's interesting? I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but I mentioned Daryl Sutter's name there, and he, he goes and does that, and that, and that was another story that, that Eric got, um, you know, very recently is he got both Dallas and uh, and he reached out to Daryl Sutter, and I thought, what a what a smart move by by Dallas Eakins, and you know, I, I know I'm I, you know, your listeners are Ducks fans, and I probably don't want to hear a lot about Daryl Sutter because of his, <laughs> you know time with the Kings. That but, was my next question. You know he was right about Daryl, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can get into that too, but. But I, I thought it was I thought it was a really smart move, and I'll tell you a, a real confident move by Dallas Eakins to to do that to bring in somebody who 
frankly, has a stronger resume that he does than he does. You know, who's won two Stanley Cups, who's been a coach in the league for 20 some years. I mean, some coaches, I think, in that scenario would be a little reluctant uh, to, to bring somebody in and to have, you know, somebody like that looking over their shoulder or, you know, looming in the background. But but I thought that was a really smart move by Dallas to kind of say, hey, you know, I don't have this all figured out. I'm, I'm not a genius. I don't have all the answers. And I'm not going to be afraid to turn to people who might be able to help me. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, we don't know a lot about, you know, how that arrangement is going to go necessarily. But on the surface level, it, it struck me as a pretty a pretty wise move by by Dallas. Yeah, and it was one of the one of the several uh, big stories here in Anaheim. You know, it, it's it's it was kind of a shock to a lot of Ducks fans. But you've had a lot of experience covering Daryl Sutter in your time with the Kings, uh, <laughs> and he's now an advisor to the coaching staff with the Ducks. And obviously, you like that as a hire. But um, like, what does that bring yeah. the Ducks as an advisor? Right, he's not a head coach, but is he's he's just more of a guy in the ear of Dallas throughout the season, correct? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I don't know a lot about their, their relationship personally, but, you know, I, I have a feeling that, it, you know, Daryl will be around a little bit. I, I've heard he'll be there in training camp, certainly to, to just, I, I think probably to watch or observe more than anything. And then just kind of like, you know, maybe give notes to Dallas. Hey, I saw this, or, you know, this, this guy's doing that, or maybe you can develop this guy in, in that way. I, I don't see, you know, Daryl getting on the ice with a whistle you know, kind of taking over practice. <laughs> Although, given what I know about Daryl, I, I wouldn't totally rule that out. But, uh, but you know, I, I think it's going to be more like, hey, you know, this this is what I'm seeing. You know, it's it's a it's different set of eyes. You know, I, I think anybody in in our job, whatever we do for a living, um, you know, sometimes a different set of eyes on, on the same on the same thing. Uh, you learn something different, or you you see it in a, in a way that you hadn't seen before. So that's kind of how I uh, suspect it to be. I, I don't see, think you'll see, you know, Daryl in the locker room a whole lot. I don't think you'll see him behind a bench or that sort of thing, but just kind of maybe a guy who, who parachutes in every, every so often and, and, you know, lays a, a veteran, you know, set of eyes on the team and, and, uh, you know, maybe give some input to Dallas. So interesting move. And, and I'll be very curious to see, like I said, you know, how it works in practice. Yeah, so I got to ask you about Daryl, and in my opinion, and uh, our other co-host Jason, who's not on, on with us today, unfortunately, you know, we always talk about Daryl and and John Tortorella being like two of the best post-game interviews you could have in the NHL, like, <laughs> two of the best easily. Uh, what are some of your favorite yeah. Sutter moments uh, while you were covering him with the Kings? Yeah, oh, oh my gosh. You know, I, I've told people, like, it, it can be frustrating at times, but it's like, I, I've told people it's like fishing almost. Like, you, you can sit there with your line in the water forever and not get anything, but then, like, the one that you land is, is just amazing. You know, I mean, I, I, after practice one day, he and, and all of these were just, you never knew they were coming to. Like, you never knew what was going to happen. But after practice, he just launched into this whole set up scenarios about how guys who are called for penalties should have to sit on the other team's bench and <laughs> how uh, something about referees should sing the national anthem. He, he had this whole list of like things that were wrong with the NHL and, and time that was wasted and, and everything else. And you're just sitting there going, where is this coming from? I, I don't even understand, you know, what, what's going on in his mind, but yeah, he, he would just, he would just get at you sometimes. And he, he's one of those, 
you know, classic kind of contrarians who, you know, you, you talk to him after a, after a win and it's, you know, you would think they lost 10 to one because he'll tell you all the bad things that happened in a game that they won four to nothing. And then, you know, as soon as you suggest that something might be wrong, you know, if, if they lose a game, you know, six to two and the goalie gets pulled and, and you ask a question about the goalie, he'll, he'll snap at you, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, the goalie was fine. It wasn't, it wasn't the goalie. The goalie was fine. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, so, but I'll tell you my favorite, my favorite quote of all time is they, uh, the, the, soon after he, he took over and the, the Kings were on the, on the Island, uh, in New York and, and, uh, it was a pretty dreadful game. And I think it was, it went to a shootout. I think it was maybe two to one, and just not a great, not a great game to, to watch. And, and, uh, Daryl's famous quote was, it was a hardworking point for our team and nobody died. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, how can you argue with that? I mean, that's, that's, actually accurate it was a hard-working point and nobody died so so that's that's the one i'll always remember about daryl sutter the, the one that stands out but to you me. know what the other no yeah sorry to interrupt but the other thing is just like the but also a very um warm person behind the scenes and i think it's a lot of something that people you know really don't get to see on the surface but um you know the, the players even though he he would ride them really hard and you know, kind of wear out his welcome at times. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot of caring there and, you know, he, he's a guy who would, you know, he meets you and, you know, he asks how your family's doing and, you know, how are you doing? You know, is, I don't know if people know the story, but you know, his, his youngest, younger son, um, has down syndrome and, and, you know, Daryl actually, that's why he left the, the Blackhawks. Uh, you know, back in the in the early 90s, I guess it was, uh, was to take care of his son. And, you know, everywhere he's gone is he's made sure that that, you know, Chris can kind of be comfortable and, and can kind of have the things that he needs. And, uh, you know, it's a big part of him. So you kind of you see the, the really gruff exterior and you, you think he's kind of a jerk. But, you know, if, if you kind of take the time to get to know him, um, he's actually a pretty soft guy. So so I hope that um, you know, Ducks fans see enough of him and, and hear enough of him to, to to kind of be able to experience that too. Yeah, I know. I was just gonna say one of the uh, one of the things that stood out to me is I think it was during the 2014 playoffs when the Ducks and Kings were, were playing, and, and he made the John Gibson had come in and, and won a, and won a game for Anaheim, and they asked him about that, and he's like, "Oh yeah, greatest goal he's ever played. You know, just the, just the greatest goalie ever." <laughs> it's like, so something along yeah. the lines like that, just to be cheeky, because it's like, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were some good ones in there. It's like they played. I think they played Vancouver in 20, 2012, and he said something like, "Well, I, I'm just glad they were able to fit us into our ske- into their schedule or something like that." And I'm going, "Oh man." <laughs> He really knew how to how to turn the needle sometimes. I'd ask him they they made a the, the refs missed a call or something, and you know I'd ask him if he heard anything, and he'd say, "Nope, they they don't they don't come over here, and I can't text them or nothing." So <laughs> he, he would just uh, he would have these these liners that you just you really didn't have an answer for. So always yeah, I'd, I'd encourage if. if, if if you have, if any of your listeners want to get their introduction to, to Daryl, you can you can YouTube like uh, Daryl Sutter quotes or something like that, and it's it's good for fifteen minutes of of entertainment. Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a bunch of them out there, but with with Dallas Aikens and Daryl Sutter coming in, there was a lot going out for the Ducks too, and I think the big one was the Ducks buying out Corey Perry and. 
You had a discussion on The Athletic if buying out Corey Perry was the right thing for the Ducks to do. The readers and the fans seem to be pretty split on the decision, but I'm curious on what your opinion on the situation. Do you think it was the right move for the organization? You know, he, he of, of all those scenarios that I've kind of been through or, or covered or what have you, I think that might be the toughest one because you, you, you know, it's, it's obvious to say this, but you look at it from two ways. You look at it from kind of the purely, you know, economical standpoint of, of what is smart to do from, from like salary cap, um, you know, decision. And, and then there's the human side and they are so different. And I can't, I'm not sure I ever remember one that is so different where you look at it and say, okay, you know, you look at the money that was left on the table, you look at what the salary cap landscape looks like if you buy him out, and you look at it and say, well, yeah, that, that makes sense, you know, you and, and you do it. But then you look at the other side of it and you go, you know, you talk about a, you know, a, a Ducks Mount Rushmore at this point, and you probably got Corey Perry on it. You know, I mean, this is a guy who's meant so much to this organization, and what is the value in that? And, and what kind of message are you sending to the other players? What kind of message are you sending to your fans if you do that? And I can't imagine how difficult of a decision that was just because of that. Um, it's, it's easy to make decisions when you just see numbers on paper and, and you think about how much money you're going to save, you know, versus the kind of production that you can get from, from Corey Perry. But there's, there's, there's something to that, you know, when, when you're cutting loose a guy who's put all those years, you know, heart and soul and Stanley cup and heart trophy and, and, you know, just all the battles that guy went through for your organization and, and to say, Hey, we're, we're making, we're making a decision based on money and, and we're going to let you walk away. Uh, that's tough. Um, ultimately I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, you know, just because, you can't make too many of those decisions. You, you can't let those kind of personal feelings uh, or that sentimentality, you know, influence too many of your decisions. If you start making too many decisions like that, that's how you end up with a roster that you just, you know, you, you might like it personally, but, but you don't really want to see it on the ice. And so, you know, I, I admire them for, for making the tough decision. And, and I think down the line, um, you know, fans will probably appreciate it a little bit more when, you know, some of these guys start to come up as as restricted free agents or unrestricted free agents. And and you're able to retain uh, some of these younger guys or some of these current stars uh, that that's when you see it. That's when you'll be able to look back and say, well, you know, we were able to keep these guys because, you know, got rid of Corey Perry in, in 2019. So tough decision again one of the one of the tougher ones that i could remember uh you know covering in this area but you know ultimately based on on all the factors i, I think it was probably the right thing to do i think as much as it was a money move there, there almost feels like there was a mutual want for this to happen between the team and the player and i think you know cory perry had to think looking at the depth chart for the ducks that he might be falling behind andre cash or Jakob silverberg or, or troy terry this yeah. year and now he goes to Dallas and has a chance to play top six. And, you know, like you said, this is a guy who's a former Hart Trophy winner. He's a Stanley Cup champion. You know, one of the best goal scorers of his era. You know, he's up there in the top five when you look at the goal scorers over the last decade or so. This almost feels like maybe this is a move he also wanted to happen. I know it's a difficult uh, ask for him to move on from the organization he's played his entire career with. But now he goes on to Dallas where he can prove that he can still be a top six contributor. 
Yeah, yeah, I think there's probably some element to that. And, uh, you know, he did, he got to choose, too. You know, it wasn't a trade. Um, so, you know, he, he was able to kind of decide where, where he wanted to go and, and where the best fit for him was at that stage of his career. So I understand that, you know, these guys get to the to the latter stages of their, of their career and, and they only probably have one more one more choice like that. So so he was able to make it. And it's interesting. I mean, one of the stories that Eric did, um, you know, just this past week was, you know, how how might the Ducks roster look in three years? And, uh, you know, there was some of that stuff with with Getzlaff, too, where it's like, you know, what, what is the decision going to be there? Is he going to be a guy who, you know, is okay with falling back to the third line or even the fourth line or whatever it may be? Or is, is there going to, be going, to, going to be a point where another decision like that has to be made, whether it's him walking away or, or a trade or something like that? So it's, it's difficult, you know, when, when some of these guys get to that stage in their career where, you know, they probably aren't going to produce like they, they did, but, but they also feel like they have something to give and, and maybe, you know, their feelings don't necessarily mesh with the teams. So, you know, I, I, it seems to me like the, the break was okay here. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's, uh, you know, irreparable to where, you know, when, when Corey retires, I, I don't think there's going to be any animus or anything like that. I, I think that, you know, he'll, he'll be able to resume that relationship with the Ducks and, I'm sure get his number retired and come back for, you know, different kind of ceremonies and celebrations and that sort of thing. So I, I think that, you know, as far as those things go, uh, I think it was pretty clean and, and, you know, pretty, pretty nice. <laughs> Sometimes those things can get a little messy and, and, you know, acrimonious, but, but, you know, I think both sides handled it with, with a good level of uh, professionalism. Yeah, I think I think Ducks fans are really it were actually majority of them were a, a lot of them I talked to were pretty upset that Perry was leaving at at this point just because of what he's meant to the franchise for so long. Um and you've already mentioned that you you think he should be uh you know the, in the Ducks Mount Rushmore and uh, when he's retired get his jersey raised up there I mean just as obviously one of the Duck greats, but how do you feel about maybe him being in the conversation for a hall or for the for the hockey hall? Is that is that too far of a stretch for Perry? Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, you got to start to look at some of the contemporaries, but I, I mean, he's, he's in the conversation. He's got to be in the conversation. I mean, just a, a great resume all around. And, you know, I mean, hockey hall of fame, you're talking about in, you know, international and what he did there too. And, and just, you know, one, uh, to me, I always look at it as like, what, what kind of players define the generation? And I, I think he is one of those players. When you look back at these last you know, 10, 12 years, you're, Corey, Corey Perry is going to be one of the names that comes up. And, and to me, that's always kind of the, the litmus test. You know, if, if he's one of the first, you know, 10 or so names that come out of your mouth when, when you talk about that era, then, then that guy should be in the hall. I, I certainly hope that he's not um, diminished in any way by, by playing in Southern California. And, and that's, hundred percent not a shot at the ducks. I'm, I'm just talking about in terms of, you know, just the market and, and not playing in, in Canada or, or in a big East coast market. Um, I, I hope that's not the case. And, and I would say the same thing about, you know, anybody who played for the Kings or the sharks or the coyotes or anything like that. Um, I hope there's no bias like that and, and that he's kind of, you know, measured, measured on the merits because when, when you look at the numbers that he put up and, uh, you know the the success and the, the cup and the trophy and everything else. Um, to to me, I yeah, I, I'd, I'd have to line him up against some of the contemporaries, but but I certainly think uh, he's in the conversation. 
And uh, so with both teams in Southern California, basically they don't like to say rebuild. They're going to say retool now in full swing. <laughs> Who would you yeah. think is a bit closer to contending uh, for a cup in the near future? Would you say it was L.A. or Anaheim? I think right now it's probably the Ducks. I, I think the Kings are, you know, they, I think they've even been more resistant to the word rebuild. And, and I, I don't like that. I, I think – you know, at some point you just have to lean into it. You know, I mean, every team basically has to go through it. Uh, nobody lives forever. I mean, even Chicago here recently has had to, you know, retool a little bit. And, you know, they look like they're doing okay now. But I, just, I, I, I don't like the fact that teams kind of try to hide that from their fans. And, and I don't know, you know, maybe fans see this differently than, than I do. But I, I think it's okay to, to lean into that a little bit and say, hey, you know what, we're going through a little bit of a transition now. But, you know, look at these young guys who are coming up. You know, this is going to be your future in, in two or three years or whatever it may be. And I think teams get a little skittish about that sometimes and think, oh, gosh, if, if we send that message to our fans, then, you know, we're kind of telling them to, to tune out for the next year or two. I don't think that's true. I, I think, you know, fans who are, who are really, you know, truly fans and, and truly, you know, hardcore followers of the team, they want to see how that development goes. And, and I mean, I saw that with the, with the Kings, you know, at the, at the end of the last decade where they were awful for three, four, <laughs> almost 10 years, um, you know, but it got to the point where that, that excitement started to build a little bit because you could see those young, you know, talented guys come along. Anyway, the point to all that is I, I think the Ducks have, have leaned into that a little bit more than the Kings have. I think the Kings tried to resist a little bit longer and say, oh, we, maybe we can you know, squeeze another Stanley Cup out of some of these guys, out of some of these big contracts that we have. And, and they kind of tried to split the baby, you know, of like, well, you know, we're going to bring a couple young guys in, but we're also going to keep – you know, all the Jeff Carters and Dustin Browns, the Jonathan Quicks and, you know, all these these big contracts that they've had. And I just don't, I don't think that works. I think at some point you just have to look at it and say, well, it's time. You know, it's time to make some tough choices. And, you know, maybe it might hurt for, for a year or two, but, but eventually we're going to end up in a better place for it. So I think the Ducks have started that process a little bit earlier than the Kings have. And, and that's why I think ultimately – you know, they'll probably get there a little sooner. Plus, plus, I just I like a lot of the guys who, are, you know, are, are going to come through the pipeline for, for the Ducks or maybe even start to this year. So uh, I, I think you can see where the gaps are going to get filled in. Um, you know, you've got stability in goal. You've, you've got some, you know, pretty in their prime guys on defense. And, and then you can bring in some young forwards uh, to bolster that unit. So uh, I'm not saying they're going to get there next year or maybe even the year after. But, but I, you know, you can kind of see where it's already starting to trend uh, in the right direction there. They really only seem to be the only two L.A. teams or Southern California teams that are going to be rebuilding. You look at what a lot of yeah. the teams in the other sports have done. You've got LeBron and A.D. with the Lakers. You've got the Clippers going out and getting Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You've got Mike Trout, probably the best player in baseball with the Angels. You've got Cody Bellinger and the team that they've been able to build with the Dodgers. You've got even LAFC and L.A. Galaxy among two of the best teams in the MLS. And the Rams and the Chargers will likely be competitive this year. How is this shaping up for maybe a golden era, you want to call it, in L.A. sports? I know that's a reach when you look at how, you know, the history of winning that uh, teams in L.A. have had. But this is pretty sure. good when you you think of only maybe the two teams, uh, the two hockey teams are the only ones that aren't going to be challenging for a title this year. 
Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, I've, I've lived here my, my whole life. You know, I mean, I, I grew up in, in L.A. in the 80s. And, and at the time, you know, the Dodgers and, and Lakers were both, you know, the Dodgers won the series in, in 81 and 88. The Lakers, you know, were, were great throughout the 80s. Um, you know, the, the Kings, you know, obviously, at the end of that decade with the, with the Gretzky trade kind of kind of came on. But not to this point. I, I can't ever. I mean, this is astounding when you talk about. You know, the, the Rams and Chargers legitimately could be Super Bowl teams. Uh, the Lakers and Clippers legitimately could be NBA championship teams. Uh, you know, <laughs> Dodgers uh, could win the World Series. I mean, there's there's the potential for five teams uh, to, to win championships right there. So, yeah, across the board, I, I can't ever remember it uh, being, being as strong as it is. And I think just to, you know, go back to our last question, I think maybe that's where a little bit of the – the trepidation is with with the hockey teams as well you know you, you don't want to get buried you don't want to lose that attention you don't you know you don't want to fall so far behind those other teams but but i don't, I don't think you can think like that I, I think you have to you know kind of respect your your fan base and, and you know there's there's people out there who are going to stay with you and and they're going to be excited about the ducks no matter what the rams are doing or, or what the dodgers are doing or the angels or whoever it might be so you know I, my advice to them would be you know don't worry so much about what, what's going around you just just do what you can to to build your own own organization and and to kind of you know make those fans happy who, who have stuck with you uh through the thick and the thin because it'll come back around you know there'll, there'll be a time a few years from now when some of those other teams are down that the you know the nfl teams might not be as quite as strong and and maybe that'll be the time for the for the hockey teams to step up and be good. So I don't think they have to be kind of insecure about that. I, I think they just need to kind of keep working and, and try to build that thing back up. All biases aside, which L.A. team brings a championship to the city first? I, you know, uh, I'll give you the honest answer that first came to my mind, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but it could be the Clippers. Like, and as somebody <laughs> who, who grew up here – I mean, I used to go to games at the sports arena when there were 4,000 people there. But as, as hard as it is for me to believe that, I legitimately think they have a chance to, to win the NBA championship this year. So uh, that it's going to be a remarkable thing to watch. I, I think, again, I think both NFL teams clearly could get there. I wouldn't be shocked if I wouldn't even be shocked if it was Rams versus Chargers in the Super Bowl, uh, because I think there's there's the possibility of that. But. It's just I'm going to be fascinated here to see, uh, you know, what the Clippers do and, and, you know, kind of how L.A. and Southern California responds to them. If if they really do kind of take off and and become a a, a superpower, um, you know, in the NBA. So really fascinating time. But uh, but I can tell you, I don't forget about the hockey fans either. So 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 they'll always be in my heart, too. Well, hey, Rich, thanks so much for coming on the show. I mean, all your stories and insight is greatly appreciated, especially in the off season. And I know you're busy covering other things, too. So we can't thank you enough for the time here. Oh, it's great to be with you guys. Well, we'll hope to have you on soon and uh, we'll talk to you later. Okay, thanks, guys.